Well, good morning, church, and welcome to Springbrook. Uh, my name is Kyle. If you are online, please feel free to take advantage of the Bible, the request prayer button, or reach out to any of our online hosts. If you're in person, would you stand as we uh, respond to our call to worship this morning? In Revelation chapter 4, John describes his vision of the throne room of heaven. He describes the heavenly creatures in rich detail as they sing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He goes on to describe the elders gathering around the throne, casting down their crowns and crying out, Worthy are you, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you all things existed. This morning, let's join our voices, let's join with that song, and let's worship the God who is and was and is to come.
All that you've done for me 
Our scripture reading comes from 1 Chronicles 16. King David leads the people in a song of praise, which says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Together, let's respond to the splendor and majesty of our God as we continue in worship this morning.
into that place today we, we just sang come and worship a holy God and ultimately that's that's what we're here to do not just this morning on Sunday but with our lives Lord would you let that be um, the, the condition of our heart today um, and tomorrow and, and, and for the rest of eternity Lord and in all that we do whether it be when we sing or, or in the way that we we open our hearts to to listen and receive what you have for us God, would you be with Matt as he speaks? Would it be your words, not his? God, would you um, help us live in that way of worship? God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. Welcome to Springbrook Community Church. We are so glad that you are with us today. My name is Pastor Richard, and if this is your first time with us uh, this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you. I was talking to our online people, uh, our online community this morning, just before I walked out there, and and Cheryl wanted me to let the worship team know what a great job you guys did this morning. So (laughs) it's fun, I know, right? (laughs) It's fun talking to our online community. We have online hosts that are available to pray for you if you're watching online with us this morning. If you're new to Springbrook online, we'd love the opportunity to get to know you. And if you're new to Springbrook in person, uh, we want to get to know you as well. You've got a welcome slip or communication card that's sitting in your chair uh, next to you. I want to invite you to, uh, to fill that out. 
uh, just let us know that you were here. You can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, there's a place for you to drop that out in the back. Uh, just to, uh, We'll pray for you. We'll let, just uh, celebrate the fact that you were here with us. Uh, but uh, we are so glad that you are uh, here with us this morning. Hey, I know uh, last week we introduced, we, uh, we have a brand new Springbrook Church app, and I think uh, almost uh, between 100 and 150 people have updated or downloaded their new app. And so I just want to encourage you that if you have not done that yet, it's really easy to do. Um, you can text Springbrook Church to 77977, and it pops up, shows right up on your device. It's a great way to be connected. You can watch our services online. We've got all of our news and events. You can register for things. Uh, in fact, if you want to do that right now, go ahead and do it right now. <laughs> and so I just want to encourage you to check that out. Um, it's a great way for us to stay connected to you and uh, for you to interact with us as well. And so we'd love to get some feedback from you. And so if you haven't done that yet, uh, please uh, do so now. And I um, hope you enjoy that. And just let, give us some feedback. Let us know uh, if you're enjoying that. And then also wanted to let you know if you're a leader at Springbrook, I know it's been since November that we had our last leadership gathering. Um, we've moved to the new year. We've got January. We've had our annual meeting behind us. Um, our next leadership gathering is coming up on Sunday, March uh, the 6th. Uh, it's going to be right after the second service. Uh, we'll be meeting in the, uh, in the gymnasium. We're going to have lunch, some vision casting. We'll be doing our uh, ministry breakouts. And so if you are a leader at Springbrook, uh, please be sure to register for that. If you're serving in ministry or if you've been at Springbrook for a while and, you just wanna, and you're interested in leadership, uh, we want to encourage you to join us as well. It's a great opportunity to hear a little bit about uh, what's happening behind the scenes with our leaders. It's a great time for us to invest in and encourage one another. And so please uh, register for that. You can do so by uh, going to springbrook.org slash leader or guess what? It's right there on that main page on the app. You can just click that button. Uh, you can register there as well. And then I also wanted to let you know um, I got an update from our friends at the Timothy Initiative uh, recently. Uh, we uh, increased our budget significantly this year as we're investing in uh, church planting uh, globally as well as uh, domestically, internationally, and locally. Uh, but specifically, we have a partnership with the Timothy Initiative, and uh, we are a part of a movement to see a church planted in every region, in every village uh, across America. So it's called the Church in Every Village, and uh, we are a part of that. We have made a commitment to plant 100 churches uh, throughout the different areas of the world, primarily in uh, India and Nepal and some other places in Africa. And so, um, but we are a part of a movement of churches that have made that commitment. Um, we're going to be planting 50 this year and then 50 next year. And uh, I got an update from the Timothy Initiative. So far today, um, they have 14,600 pastors being trained right now to start churches. And so that is huge. That is huge. So far, since a church in every village has started, they have planted 24,653 churches. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the Spirit of God is at work uh, in an unbelievable way. And we get to be a part of that through our support through the Timothy Initiative. And so I want to thank you uh, for enabling us to be a part of that movement. We plant churches internationally. We're a part of seeing a church planted in Wisconsin last year. Um, we are a part of a movement of churches that is starting and strengthening and sending uh, disciples out. So thank you for uh, your support for our ministry. Um, they have so far, those new churches have had 228,000 people make faith commitments. And so, uh, yeah, so that is just, that is huge. And so um, it is just exciting to be able to be a part of that. Uh, the material that they use for their training, um, the Timothy Initiative, the material we're providing through our support, 
uh, is, a, is the equivalent of um, uh, not, not everybody can get to seminary, right? <laughs> and so uh, they disconnect. You know, to go to seminary, you have to disconnect uh, from your ministry. Typically, you have to spend a lot of time in school. It's very expensive. And so the Timothy Initiative has moved the education out into the field to do this training. And so that's what we're a part of is training these church planters. Well, the material they've been using for uh, many years, uh, for at least the last 10 years, is now available in, to us in the United States. And so we've been using that material to train leaders here at Springbrook. And so Brett Filer um, is one of the missionaries that we support as a part of our budget. And uh, uh, he's local to Springbrook, and he's a part of the Christian uh, Motorcycle Association. And uh, we get to be a part of supporting him. And he and Pastor Joseph have been working through that material. So we're training Brett right now uh, using the same curriculum, the same material that these church planters are using across the globe uh, to be equipped for ministry. And so Brett has had a, an, a, just an amazing impact uh, in his ministry. We get to be a part of that. In fact, um, Brett had a gentleman that he's been invested in that made a faith commitment, and he uh, baptized him here at Springbrook a few weeks ago. And so we're going to show you that video, and then Pastor Matt's going to come out in just a moment. Let's watch this video together. Hi, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, My life as a kid was pretty good, even with my parents being divorced at age five and growing up with my mom in Florida. When I was a teenager, I came back up to Illinois and lived with my dad. I was a typical teenager and probably sinned a lot, but remembering going to church a few times with my mom in Florida and when I came back up here in Illinois. But But it didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know God. Then I got married and started going to church with my ex-wife for four or five years and not realizing I didn't know anything about God. Still, even going to church just wasn't understanding because I wasn't saved. Um, then I got, then all I was doing was yeah, going to church. And I had no personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't know anything about being saved, just like I just said. Um, how I ended up finding Jesus was through my brother who found Jesus a few months before me. Um, he told me about Jesus and what I needed to, to do to be saved. So we talked about it several times. Then one day about eight years ago, right in the parking lot at work, we prayed together and I confessed right there that I believed in my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and then rose up on the third day. From this point on, my life changed forever. Since I was saved, I have become a better person, a better father to my children, and more understanding and patient. I pray every day and talk to God all the time. In such a relief to know all my sins have been forgiven, now they are off my shoulders. I can't get enough of God, and I try to spread his word as much as possible. I joined uh, a Christian motorcycle group a little over a year ago. It's called CMA. Christian Motorcycle Association, that is one of the best things I have ever did. It brought me closer to God, being surrounded by my brothers and sisters in my local chapter. I look forward to growing in my faith as I trust in God for my future, and I can't wait to see where he leads me. So on this day of my baptism, I think this verse is appropriate. For God has so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, John three sixteen. Thank you. Tony, do you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised again on the third day? Yes. Will you follow Jesus for the rest of your life as your Lord and Savior? Yes, absolutely. 
I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's giving a thumbs up, but seeing how he has grown and sharpened and become more and more like Jesus and seeing him use that evangelism gift, I, it's so good. And <laughs> it was good being there that morning. Good job, Brett. So, yeah, and Brett will tell you all it's Jesus working in him and all that, but good job, Brett. Well, today we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this, this opening slide is all wrong. And this is the first time I've noticed. And the theme today, unironically, this wasn't planned, is be perfect, therefore, like your heavenly father is perfect. So let's just skip that one. Um, if we could rewind for a moment. Well, hello, everyone. We're starting a series on the starting. We're con- Man, if I restart again, it's just going to get worse. Um, we're called to be perfect, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we jump in, I need to say a couple things that I hope will orient you well to the sermon today. Um, the first thing we need to talk about is that we are in a sermon series about one sermon, Okay. If you've ever watched YouTube videos that pick apart a movie because the movie's not very good, a lot of times they'll pick apart a couple scenes and take 20 minutes for a scene that was like two minutes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I love, I love things like that. But, but like we're, we're picking apart a sermon in order to come up with all the big ideas from it, but we need to remember there is just a big idea that we're moving towards. And the problem with this in our modern culture is that at some point today, you're going to say, hey, I've seen that slide before. That's supposed to be a new slide this week. To which I will say, nah. Um, you see, the, the, we're in the same unit of Jesus's talk, but because we are 2,000 years in the future, we need to address it on the terms that he addressed it to the culture he did. And so when we hear it, we hear it through modern, Western, individualized lenses, rather than this ancient lens where they right away would have said, I've heard that before, I've seen that before, and they would have seen it in a way different way than we can see it being so far away. If you told an ancient Jew about Amazon and how like half the country would work for Amazon delivering things to other people, they would be like, why? What is the purpose of this? Or they might think that's cool, but then they'd say, are they just going to walk there? And then you'd have to talk about it. But the, the point is, is we are so far removed. And the other thing we have to remember is that the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Matthew and, and the whole Bible was written 
with the idea of oral transmission. The people who wrote it, wrote it that others would hear it. And so when we see repetition and come across it, in our modern understanding, we sometimes go, oh my gosh, we're talking about this again. Um, Look back to our First John series. Um, That was some big feedback we got was it was too repetitious, and the response to that was John had three points he said over and over. What were we supposed to do? If we want to honor the text, we need to recognize that we're going to repeat things. We're going to come back to things, and then we need to be honest about it. It's important for us to talk about it again and again and again, because it's not like we hear it once and do it. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, everyone didn't go off the mountain and perfectly live out these values. Many from those crowds are probably responsible for saying, we want Barabbas, crucify him. So the question we're going to look at again this week, and our applications are going to be exactly the same, but then hopefully a little more specific. How can I have a greater righteousness that will allow me into the kingdom of heaven? And if you'll remember, this starts off in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to get rid of the Old Testament. I have come to see it fulfilled. And, and he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the most righteous people of the day, you will never, and, and righteous people of the day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the beginning of the unit we're in. And then Tim, two weeks ago, talked about you shall not, you have heard it said you shall not murder. Last week we did, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. We also last week covered again, you have heard it said To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This week, we're going to look at, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so we're going to jump in in a moment. But before we do, I have one last thing to remind you of. Cheese dip. I talked about this last week. Some of you are going to say, oh, Matt, you, real quick, Ben, it was good, right? Like, Like it lived up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, The cheese dip was very good. And you might say, well, I want a picture of the cheese dip. I didn't take any. I just ate the cheese dip. It was good. But the, the point here is we have to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is like a recipe, then the execution of the recipe in order to get cheese dip. And so we're not just going to look at the chili powder, the cayenne pepper. We have to look at it all together. And that gets us to this question over and over, especially in this first unit we're finishing today, of how can I have a greater righteousness that will allow me into the kingdom of heaven? And I'm going to tell you the answer right now. The answer is you, 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 therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are about to look at a standard of perfection being demanded of us, and then we're going to try and figure out what to do with the fact that we absolutely cannot live up to it. And then we're going to look at how do we move towards it, knowing we will not reach it on our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that before creation, you knew, you, the Father, Son, and Spirit, knew the triune God, what would happen, and you still created. We thank you that you knew of our sin, of our fallenness, of what would happen to the man and woman in the garden, of what would happen generation after generation. You knew that those created in your image would act like beasts. They would strike each other. They would attack each other. They would dominate and oppress each other. 
And into that, you spoke a promise that you would send your son to turn the world upside down. We thank you that you did not abandon us to our sin, but you invite us to follow you. We thank you that your son, Jesus, was willing to pay that cost. For those who could never be perfect, he was. And we thank you that what we strive for now to live and look like him is possible through your spirit, even as it is impossible in this life. We pray we would not shy away from the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount, but we would desire to live it out daily. I pray for this message. I pray for all the ears listening, that you would give us all ears to hear what your word has to say, and that we would all look more and more like your son. I pray these would be your words spoken, not mine. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew 5 today. Um, start in Matthew 5, 38. Um, and real quick, I get to make a few mask jokes today. Um, because wherever you stand on masks, I'm going to miss that when I went into a store for the last two years, and maybe going forward, I haven't really decided where I'm at, but with masks, if my nose was a little runny like it feels right now, I just had confidence And if it started running, I'd just go, uh, and no one would know because my mask was there. I'm just adjusting my mask, or am I blowing my nose? No one knew. And so I'm going to miss that. If you haven't had time to open to Matthew 5.38 yet, I can't stall anymore. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now we need to unpack like five things here, and I'm going to do it super fast. Um, When it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, um, this is the idea of justice. If somebody gouges out your eye, you can gouge out their eye in return. If somebody knocks out your tooth, you can knock out their tooth in return. Um, But there's something that we miss. We see this as appropriate revenge or compensation, but the ancient audience would have heard an eye for an eye as if someone gouges out your eye, the maximum you can do back to them is to take theirs. It was a measure of maximum justice, exacting justice. And they actually, if you read, it was not very common for someone to knock out someone else's eye over this. If somebody knocked out someone else's eye, they had like a whole measured law system where they could figure out um, how much the person needed to pay the other person. There was a compensation level involved in this. Um, otherwise, there would have been no ancient dentist or optometrist. But, but the, the point is, is that this is not about revenge. This is about a measurement of justice. If someone wrongs you, here's the maximum you're allowed to do back to them. And it might sound like I'm saying the same thing, but it's a little different. It's, it's less about how you how you are angry at what they did, and it's more about what is allowed for justice. And then Jesus responds, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Okay, and right away there's a weird thing here. When it says do not resist the one who is evil, most people probably think, is that talking about Satan, the devil? We call him the evil one. And Jesus is not at all saying do not resist the one who is evil. He's saying do not resist the one who will treat you poorly in a way that you want to demand justice from. That's a lot different. 
It's it, it, do not resist. Do not retaliate. Do not respond based on how you would want to respond. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And that one is, is funny to me as a youth pastor. Um, they, only, they didn't have underwear, so if you had your tunic taken and then you gave up your cloak too, you'd just be naked. Um, we need to talk about that. But um, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now the first one, the right, turn the other cheek. Um, this is so weird but it was like a grave insult to slap someone. And if you were slapping someone, you'd probably use your right hand to slap them. And if you slap them across their right cheek, and, and you'd probably backhand them. And in ancient Jewish law at this time, there was like a whole measure of here's what you would owe if you did that. And if you slapped them this way, you'd owe them 200 something. If you slapped them this way, you'd owe them 400 something. I'm making the numbers up, but the point was they had a legal system. And Jesus is saying, if somebody has a reason to slap you and they do it, give them another opportunity. Now he's not saying like, get them to add up. And then you can say, all right, now you owe me for 10 of these. He's saying, if they have a reason to do it, just let them do it. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Just give it all up. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, this one's really interesting. Um, like some of you, like high schoolers, you're thinking like in PE class when the PE teacher says run a mile, do I have to run two? Possibly. But a better application of this, in their day, Roman soldiers, the Roman oppressors of their day, here is what they would do. A Roman soldier could look at someone and say, hey, you're not a Roman citizen, here's my gear. You need to walk with me the next mile so I can be rested and refreshed as I go. And that's, that Jewish person could not resist in any way, shape, or form. They had to do it. And Jesus says, go another mile. That would be weird, right? Like, I, oh, you're making me do this? Now I'm going to serve you? I'm going to go above and beyond what you have asked of me? And a lot of people take these three things... And, um, and Jess and I had a great talk about this. I, I once worked for a youth pastor who took these things, and there was this book about, look at Jesus, the ultimate social justice warrior. He's subverting everything. He's undermining everything. He's, if somebody's going to slap you on the right cheek, make them feel like a fool because they have to hit you again. If someone's going to sue you, make them feel like a fool as you run around naked in a shame culture. If someone's going to make you go a mile, they legally can't ask you to go more. So if you go more, then they're going to turn and their commander's going to say, why are you making them go too? And they're going to get in trouble. And that is nonsense. Because what's really happening here is in all three of these instances is when someone has something against you, allow them to exact what they have authority over you to exact without retaliation. Go above and beyond for them. I think it does disarm them, but Jesus is not trying to undermine the whole culture of the day because the last ones are, are clue. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. Just, just as those that you have authority over, or those that have authority over you, act right with them, those that are under you, give to them, be generous to them, extend them mercy, just as those above you do not refuse what they ask of you. The, the practice of the day, if someone wrongs you, 
the fake righteousness, hold them accountable by the standard of the law. If you did something against a Pharisee, the Pharisee would demand that you paid the exact measure and they would declare that righteous. If your neighbor did something to you, you would demand the exact measure and it would be seen as righteous. There was an exacting justice in the day. When one was wrong, they could hold the person to an exacting standard of justice, demanding a return of full measure. And and that is what the Jews were doing to each other, even as their Roman oppressors were doing it to them. And so what was happening was you had this vicious cycle repeating of retaliation, of justice, but justice. And, And Jesus was saying, we need to break that cycle. If you're going to be wronged to practice mercy, practice mercy. That's kingdom living. Practice mercy. Injustice against us is an opportunity to extend mercy and reverse the vicious cycle of gouging each other when it is within our power to do so. Practice mercy. This is hard. It's hard as Americans because what what do we want? We want our personal rights. We want to demand what is ours. We want to have what is ours. We want to make sure that what is ours is ours. We, we, We have this pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. As Americans, we say that those are things that if someone is taking those away from us, those are inalienable rights. Those are ours to have and to defend. And Jesus says, as those are being taken away, find opportunities to practice mercy. And some of you are going to say, as I say this, this this might be too far, because if I allow that to happen, we're going to lose our religious principles. And to that I say that Craig Bloomberg says, or Blomberg, Craig says, a willingness to forego one's personal rights and to allow oneself to be insulted and imposed upon is not incompatible with a firm stand for matters of principle and for the rights of others. In our modern practice, there, there's something, and we have to talk about it, and we have to go into this, but the, the idea of the modern practice of what we do wrong, I demand others adhere to my standards and uphold my rights. When they fail, I am entitled to my words, thoughts, and actions against them. And I'm really nerdy about this stuff. So just so you all know, I'm working on a doctorate, and one of the big ideas of my doctorate is the idea of individualism, and Christendom. Um, And I'm not going to bore you a lot, except I'm going to tell you about this thing called individualism. And I'm going to assume that a majority of our audience is probably on a more conservative side. And so as you hear this, you're going to hear this, and you're going to interpret this as this is what the liberals are. And what I want to tell you is this is what the entire Western world is. And it is so important that we talk about this. I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm an independent. I look, I vote, and when I vote, I pray over each candidate that I'm going to vote for. I research. Um, I, I don't want to go political right now, but I have to diffuse this for you because if I don't diffuse this for you, you're going to listen to this and say, well, that's them instead of that's our culture. There's this thing called individualism where the idea is my personal feelings and rights and intuitions, what I believe for me is true. And, and this is just how our culture is. And when something tells me I'm wrong, when something tells me that my feelings, my, my thoughts, my words, my actions, when they tell me that they're sinful, I can reject it and move on because if it's harmful to my inner sense of self, my inner me, if it's harmful to my individual nature, I should run away from it. 
And, and, and both sides, all sides of Western culture live in this. And do you know what just should harm your inner sense of self and force you to be transformed and force you to say what I think isn't right? The Bible. And, and the problem that happens in our culture, and it is so heartbreaking, is that in the church, the church has become, and this is school has become this, the church has become this institutions where people used to go to be transformed and to grow into parts of us, like into citizens, have all become places for people to perform. And so instead of coming to church to be transformed, we come to church to perform. And I can tell you that, that if you want to have like a super long talk with me and we want to get coffee, I can just walk you through all this. I had like 20 slides here and I went, this is nonsense. I'm going to, like people are going to be like, are, are we talking about cheese dips still? But we are. But the, the, the point here is that we are no longer and we move away from the transformation that we are called to. Because it affronts our personal rights. It affronts our personal feelings. And, and because of that, in times when we need to repent, we don't repent. And I'm laying some groundwork right now because at the end of the service, I'm just going to kick y'all um, and myself, but myself less so. And I'm okay with saying myself less so because I think what I'm going to kick everyone on is something I do pretty well. I'm also not going to kick Brett. If you want an example of this, of holding to your values and your rights while allowing yourself to be affronted. The soldiers of the governor stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed on his right, in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. We can't escape this. I, 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 Christians think we have to fight for our rights. We have to fight for all these things. We have to do all these things while the one that we follow willingly walked. He said, Father, I, I don't really want to do this, but your will, not mine. And he did it. And so if you become focused on your rights, if your big idea is my rights are being affronted, this or that or that, if, if that is where you are at, and if that is what defines you, you are a bad disciple. Amen. No one's going to say it, but if Irma was here, she would. <laughs> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We're looking for a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and scribes. When we come to this passage, um, here's, here's what happens in commentaries. Um, um, and I'm kind of critical on commentaries of how they handle this, because what they say is, well, the Old Testament clearly tells us to love our neighbor, but when you get to the hate your enemy, it's like, well, it doesn't really say that, but there's a few places in the Old Testament where God talks about hate, like I have loved Esau, or I've loved, loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and there's these other things. And so what they say is, well, this is just kind of a loose interpretation, but here I think is what's happening. When it says love your neighbor, what they are saying is love, love the Jew the Jewish person, in ancient Israel. Jesus is on the mountainside, and there probably weren't a bunch of Romans there. There were probably a whole bunch of Jews that when he said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, the immediate image in their head was the soldiers, the governors, the Romans, the, the ones who ruled over them. They knew who their enemy was. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, now I want to I remember we're in a sermon that's repetitive. Um, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, persecution's not a bad thing. It's a sign you're following me. For he makes his son, the father who is in heaven, makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is impartial in providing life-giving sustenance to all of humanity is what's being said here. He loves everyone in that capacity. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, who were the tax collectors? They were authors of this book. They were, they were Jews that were working alongside the Romans, and they were the most hated in that day of the Jewish people for the most part. I mean, there were other, the Jews, I mean, there, there were other people they were pretty critical of, but the tax collectors were funding the Romans by leaning on the other Jews. And in, in doing the practice that they were doing, Jesus is saying, even though you, you don't like them, they're, they're the, the level one enemy in your mind, they love those who love them. You're just like the tax collectors. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. The ones that you call enemy act the exact same way you do, and yet you think you're more righteous than them. Fake righteousness. To the best of my understanding, Jewish leaders saw hating Romans as good. Now, I say to the best of my understanding, because when you come to this, you have to kind of wrestle with, there are so many different views. But if you think, how do, how do I have righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees? How do, I, how do you, 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 all of us, be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? The question comes, in, in what were the Jewish leaders of that day doing? And they saw hating the Romans as good. That was a clear thing. When they say Barabbas, free Barabbas, Barabbas was a murderer, probably a murderer who was responsible for being an insurrectionist who wanted to overthrow the Romans. And who wanted to overthrow the Romans a whole lot? All the Jews on a mountain listening to Jesus because what they wanted was a Messiah who was going to bring them power and put them over everyone and make sure that their rights were taken, away, or taken care of. The Jews hated the Roman oppressors and were waiting for a Messiah to, I just said that, um, to come so they could dominate those who had wronged them. We, we cannot miss this. And I, and I love, when you look at Matthew as a whole, I love when you read through the Sermon on the Mount and then read the future that happens in the book of Matthew. Because when Jesus goes in, like, like we celebrate Palm Sunday and we all, Hosanna, and the kids come in and, um, and, and all that, and, and Jesus comes in on a donkey. But they would have wanted him to come in on a war horse, a white war horse. That would have been preferred from, from the Jews because they wanted someone who would come in, march right to the governor's seat of authority, and overthrow him then and there. The people would have done that. Had Jesus gone to Pilate's house or to Herod or wherever in Jerusalem, the people would have swarmed and did everything to murder every single Roman in that place. Like, we cannot understate this. And do you know where Jesus went? 
There was a place in the temple for the Gentiles, the outer court. He went there and flipped table after table and made a whip. And the only act of violence I think, of Jesus, I think Jesus ever commits in the Bible is when Jesus is driving out the religious leaders who are preventing the Gentiles from having a place in God's house. True righteousness requires loving others regardless of anything about them. Every single person we interact with could become a citizen of the kingdom we proclaim where Christ is king. When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, or not the Sermon on the Mount, the Great Commission, the final moment in Matthew 28. Um, so, so Jesus, uh, that, that Matthew 27, at the end of Matthew 27, Jesus is dead. At the start of Matthew 28, Jesus is resurrected. If you've never heard this before, I just, I just, if you're a first-time person here and you've never heard that Jesus resurrected, the Bible hinges entirely on the resurrection of Jesus. If you don't believe Jesus resurrected, what I want to tell you is the, the 11 men, tw- there were 12, but then one betrayed him. The 11 men who followed Jesus, when the Roman soldiers were, were beating him, they, they were fleeing and running away. And as Jesus was crucified, his followers left him, and they didn't sit at the tomb in lawn chairs waiting for him to come back. They were sure their movement was over until women who went to the tomb in order to take care of his dead body ran back to them and said, he's alive. And all of those men, they they were not men that lived lives of lavish wealth after that, but once they saw the resurrected king, they proclaimed him to their dying breath. Most of them killed proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible would not exist today without their consistent testimony. If one of them had broken ranks, we would not have this today. It would have fallen apart. It would have taken almost nothing for it to be overthrown besides one of the disciples saying it wasn't true. And that never happened. Those who saw the resurrection, who witnessed it, never faltered at all. And when Jesus, the resurrected king, appeared to his disciples, the first thing he said is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You're worried about Roman oppressors? I'm over them. Not like over them, like I'm done with them. I'm over them. I, I am the authority. You're worried about what's happening in our modern times, in Russia and Ukraine or China or other places. I don't know. Those are the ones in the news right now. Um, You're worried about things happening in our world, in our local, in our state, in our blah, 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 our national, federal. The point is, is all authority in heaven and on earth is explicitly Jesus's. It's very, very clear here. And what he says right away to these men who abandoned him, who have now returned to him, is I want you to go tell everyone that. Making disciples. What you are, make other people. Of all nations. All nations. To a people who saw every non-Jew as the enemy. Jesus says, all nations. Baptizing them. Baptism was symbolic of joining into this new life, this new kingdom. Baptizing them, inviting them to be a part of the kingdom where I am king. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek. 
When we come to the end of Matthew, it means we need to turn the other cheek because part of making disciples is that we have to do what Jesus did, which means when we're struck, we need to turn. When we are wronged, when our personal rights are impeded upon, we are to do that. And the main thing that I want to draw your attention to is Jesus says to do this with everyone. That means near, that means far. We like talking about the Timothy initiative and all those things because it is so amazing what God is doing around the world. And it's so amazing that we get to partner with it. But my question for you in our modern practice, and this is a modern practice in the church. I think a lot of times we are polarized by differences with or apathetic toward those around us. Our fruit clearly, our fruit shows clearly that we either see enemies or do not see anyone at all. Last week was hard. This week makes last week seem like something I'd like to talk about more. Um, two years ago, um, or like two falls ago, we did a series on the book of Acts. Um, and, and when we did that series, the theme was witness. And, and the idea was, how are we going out and proclaiming the gospel to those around us? And how are we seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our midst? And in regards to personal growth inside these four walls and in our small groups, I can say we did a good job. In regards to anything outside of that, nothing. We had zero stories related to what we did in that curriculum. And I wrote the curriculum, so it might be I don't do a good enough job writing. I don't think it's that. Um, and I say this in arrogance because I, I, not arrogance, in confidence. That might sound arrogant. But this, hold, hold on, and yeah, it might be arrogant. Um, but this last fall, We did a series where five weeks into the series, we had this big thing called Light Week, where we experienced God's love by confessing our sins to one another and by dealing with some really hard conversations. And I think our small groups did a great job of that. And then five weeks later, we were supposed to do this thing called Love Week, where we went out and and loved on people that weren't from our church. And I want to say as a whole, our, our church doesn't get like like, a, like we can't do A through F because F ranges from like 59 to 0%. I don't know that we get 20%. We did terrible. And it stunk as someone that was like, we, we've got this momentum of we're growing together and we get to the end and nothing happens. And I don't think the problem is that we see those around us as enemies. The problem is we don't see them. If every high school student at Huntley High School and their families decided one Sunday to all attend a church in our community, the churches could not house them. That's not including middle school, elementary school. That's not including Del Webb. That's not including all the people who don't have kids in that age range. Our community does not have enough churches to support all the people in our community. But for some reason, the only people coming into our churches are people from other churches. This is uncomfortable and it stinks. But what I want to tell you is is the biggest thing and the biggest problem we want to say, and this is what happens, we say it's an evangelism problem. And do you know what the problem with that is? If we use the E word, people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And then they can just skate by for some reason. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get why people do that, but that's what we do. And we don't like to talk about evangelism because we say, well, I might get rejected. I might blah, 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 blah. We... We have a discipleship problem because evangelism is a part of making disciples. You're, you're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We are a part of a chain dating back to Jesus 
who poured into these 11 men and others, and it spread over and over. And we are a product of that, and we are called to be a product of that going down. And the problem is, is that so many of us stop at the wrath of God has been satisfied, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and we don't get to the so what of, everyone around me needs to know that too. We don't even think about it. And some of you are going to say, well, I don't know any non-believers. Shame on you if you don't know non-believers. You need to hear this. You need to have your butt just kind of, we don't even have enemies except things we see on social media and the news because we don't know other people enough for them to not like us. The Sermon on the Mount leaves very little room for anything else to talk about here. I get to have a fun moment now. Um, My favorite song of all time is a song called Thus Always Do Tyrants by the Oh Hellos. Some of you are going to say, Matt, a year ago, I think you did this exact slide, to which I will say, yep, I did this exact slide a year ago, except different lyrics and a different background. But last year, about this time, we were talking about the armor of God and how we like to think that the world is full of fleshly enemies and there aren't any. The reality is, is every human we interact with on this world, in this world, could be a citizen of the kingdom of God if we would only tell them about Jesus. But this song is the culmination of an album, and the whole album is about somebody coming to terms with their sin and the sin of someone who is oppressing them, abusing them. And at the end of the album, and it's so good, and I wish we could play the song, but it would be weird, and you'd all probably be like, okay, but if you like folk music, it's a wonderful, and it's not really folk, it's like modern poppy folk. Um, but, but the song ends, the person has finally broke free. They, they say, I know who I am now. I know who you are. I am no longer beholden to you, person who has abused and oppressed me, because I am a child of the kingdom of God. Will you join me, person who has oppressed me? Person where I go, will you follow? Will you leave your shaded hollow? Will you greet the daylight looming? Will you leave the darkness where you have wronged me? And will you, like I have learned, learn to love without consuming? The song is, the, and, and I know, some of you are like, well, if you'd play the song, maybe it would help. But, but the point is, is at the end of this album, it's a, story, it's a wonderful story. It's cheese dip. It's, a, it's so wonderful. And at the end of it, the songwriters know that when you understand the gospel, you don't understand the gospel and say, all right, we're done. You understand the gospel and say, who needs to know this? And if you don't understand that, I question what you understand. And if you don't take action on that, I wonder what on earth you're doing. The righteousness, uh, true righteousness requires loving others regardless of anything about them. Every single person we interact with could become a citizen of the kingdom we proclaim where Christ is king. And right after saying, you need to love, love everyone, you need to love your enemies, you need to love those who oppress you, you need to pray for them, the final words, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The only person who has ever achieved this was Jesus. And we see the perfection of him achieving this when he did not retaliate, when he went to the cross, when he died, when he rose again, and on the other side, On the other side, he said, go tell everyone what I did so they might call me king. We will never hit this standard on our own, but we have been given the Holy Spirit that we could live up to it. In everything we encounter, there is a way through the Holy Spirit to live up to perfection, even as we know we won't. Remember, we talked about this last week. We we talked about we're called to live a daily pattern of we need to look like the king. 
We need to ruminate on true righteousness. We need to think about his word. We need to be in community. When you leave today, a great thing for you to do is to talk to somebody else and say, something Matt said ticked me off. Really, that would be a good thing to talk about. Um, But then hopefully if you guys talk about it and if you're honest about what the Bible says, it might lead to humble repentance. And wow, I sound arrogant here, but church, our fruit of the last few years has been that most people coming to know the Lord are coming to know the Lord through our pastoral ministry, not through the people of our church going out and declaring Christ. And that's a problem because if you're not doing that, there's an assumption that we need to talk about. And that assumption is you think that that's the job of the pastors, which thinks, make, means you think that I have a righteousness greater than yours. And I don't. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple just like you. We are called to do this together. I... Um, This was the slide I used last week. We're called to live a daily pattern of this. And I realize there's a really big problem with this. When it says we are called to do this, you can say, well, as long as some of us are doing, we're doing a good job. But I, as in I, I am called to live a communal daily pattern. I'm called to, in a community with other believers, do this on my own. I'm called to practice this righteousness on my own and and invite others to do the same thing. We are all called daily to try and live and look like Jesus, to be perfect, therefore, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we fall, and we fail, and we repent, and we recognize what true righteousness is, and hopefully we get better and better and better. And we repeat. And I want to remind you all, talk to other people about this, application from last week, Text some people and then talk about this. Don't let this be something that falls away. Let this be something that is, you say to people, hey, I'm struggling. I, like our, our go-to class, we're going to do it again in like June. I don't know when. I think June. It's on the calendar, but I don't rem- memorize the calendar. I'm always surprised by it. Um, but, but when we get to the next go-to class, the whole point of the go-to class is, who is around you that needs to know about Jesus? What steps can we help you take to know those people are around you? It's that simple. And then we encourage people, talk to other people about this. When we talk in community, when we have accountability, when we tell people, hey, I'm struggling with that, good things happen. And there's another thing. So like the old one just said, repeat. Repeat it in such a way that enemies encounter and join in kingdom living alongside us. If you're doing these three things and repeating them and never inviting others in, never showing anyone else the love of Jesus, if it's never moving out of our little, like, community, we become this stagnant, gross thing that doesn't look like the kingdom at all. We need stories like the stories we're hearing from Brett, but we need those not just happening because Brett is a missionary who is amazing and awesome. We need that because every single person says, this is my responsibility. Transformation for me will be better if I'm doing it with others. Let me, okay, I'm running out of time. I know I'm running out of time, but let me say this. Loving your neighbor as yourself, loving everyone, requires recognizing the people you come into contact with. Um, this week, I have loved, I have a reminder set up every day, for, and we talked about this last week, what do I need to repent of today? And, and I'm adding this week, I don't know how yet, because I haven't figured that out, but I want to add this week, did anyone encounter Jesus through me today? If not, I'm going to repent of that. Because I'm called to that. You're called to that. We're called to that. We're called to make the kingdom of heaven an earthly reality for those we encounter, that they might respond and receive Jesus, that we might together go help others to do the same.
And church, when we don't do that, when we don't see that as our job, when we don't see that as I, you, all of us and the individual need to do that as part of the communal group we belong to, we make the church the kingdom of heaven instead of the church a place where we celebrate we are a part of the kingdom of heaven. We make less what Jesus has done. And we ignore his great commission when we do that. And so I want to challenge you. Be like Jesus. Reflect on, dig in, study the word in community that you might grow and that you might recognize true righteousness. Humbly repent and repeat it over and over in such a way that those who are not a part of the kingdom join in. Let's pray. Father, We thank you that you are so good. We thank you for the work of your son. We thank you that we have a king who has experienced life the way we have. We thank you that in experiencing it, he never failed, he never fell, and he invites us to live at a standard that will be very hard for us to live to on our own. But we thank you that you've given us the spirit. We thank you that as we encounter you and as we grow in you and as we engage together in what your word says, we can look more and more like you. We thank you that you have already defeated death, that we have no more fear if we are your disciples. We have no more fear that we could fall away from you. But Father, we repent that we are not seeing those around us in their need for you. Father, I, I pray that everyone here that, that does not know who around them does not know you would leave today with just a resolve to repent from that and to start finding those around them who need to know you. I pray whatever stage of life they are in, that they would recognize that this is a calling we all have. Father, I pray that we would not leave the message of your son for others to carry, but we would recognize that you ask each of us to be perfect as you are perfect. We thank you that that is a standard that your son's death and his blood allows us to achieve even as we can't achieve it. We thank you that, that you see us as beloved children, and we pray that we would see others as possible beloved children, and that we would not turn away from those in need. We pray we would not live a life built on our personal rights, built on our righteousness, but instead we would recognize that we are called to something so great that we will never achieve it on our own, but that, that we are called to try, and we are called to invite others to. I pray we would not lose sight of that. I pray that our rejoicing as we sing, we're about to sing, not I, but Christ in me. I pray that we would sing those words thinking about the way that we are called to go make disciples. We cannot do it on our own, but you in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us and respond in song?
we can and if we go with that standard and if we look to that standard and try and live by that standard and reflect on what that standard is we're going to fall we're going to fail and the beauty of scripture is we're invited to repent and repeat the battle's been won let's go tell people about it and tell people about our king go in peace